Welcome to the SBS podcast sponsored by Zwift. It was famously used by Matt Heyman to prepare for his victory at Paris-Roubaix. You can use it too for your own goals. Visit Zwift.com to learn how to join the digital peloton today. Rane van Vlaanderen is on. Tish Benoit at the front. Past the Capel Moor, top they go. It is a horrible, horrible hill. Riders having a walk. Now, left-hand side, Stibar. Stibar's going to go, and Kwiatkowski's going to follow him. Here is Nibali. This is interesting. This is very interesting indeed. What a quartet of riders. Nibali is going. And who's going to chase him? Is that Nicky Terpstra? Nicky Terpstra takes off, and this is a move to watch. Nicky Terpstra hits the cobbles. He's not going to sit and wait. Nicky Terpstra is going to zoom straight past him on the Isle of Guadamont. He bunches them out the way. Well, Terpstra, if he wins today, they will be dancing in Holland. This climb can break you. Sagan is driving into the top. Well. not going to ride. Second should know better than that. It's been a quick step game of pure dominance again. The Wolfpack on the hunt. It's Flanders, Flanders, Flanders instead of Bonjour, Bonjour, Bonjour for today. Uh, I'm Christophe Malen. I'm your host for this new edition of the Zwift Cycling Central podcast. Joining me is Dave McKenzie. Come on, Dave. It's oh, Flanders. I am pumped. And you know what? I love it. There's just one day, one part of the year that you say Flanders, Flanders. <laughs> well, you don't say Bonjour, Bonjour, Bonjour because it is the Ronde van Vlaanderen. Probably one of my favourite, most favourite races. It's my favourite part, I could just about say, in Europe, the Flanders region. I live uh-huh. there. My son, he's born in Belgium. He likes to think that he's half Belgian <laughs> and that he'll play for the Belgian national football team one day. But it is a brilliant race. And it is, you know how in Melbourne and in Australia, we've got the Melbourne Cup. Yeah. And you this have is a, the you, Belgian Melbourne Cup. You have, a, you have a barbecue and the, rate, the, the nation stops. Well, I can tell you... All of Flanders and a big chunk of Belgian, and it's not that big, by the way. Yeah. But most of Belgium, <laughs> well, it's bigger than Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, it's bigger than Melbourne. They stop for the Ronde van Vlaanderen. It is an amazing, iconic race, and bring it on! We can't wait. Absolutely, can we? and both races will be on SBS by yes. the way: women's race and men's race. Before I forget about the yeah, that's right. The that, whole thing isn't that sensational. Check, check your local guides uh, to uh, know exactly uh, where and when it's going to be. Uh, so let's talk about this race because uh, historically, it's such an amazing race. We are, we have been so uh, lucky to been witnessing such great cycling events, a lot of controversy as well along the history. Uh, because you've been in Belgium and you, you love Belgium, let's start with how much of this being part of the heart of this particular part of Belgium, not the whole of Belgium, is Flanders. There's a very nationalistic identity around that race. It, it certainly is. And look, it's for those people who have never been to Belgium or trying to understand what is Flanders, where is it? It's a province, it's a state of, of Belgium, the country. Um, obviously, their, their provinces or their states are a lot smaller than our states here in Australia. 
But this race has been around for a hundred odd years. You know, it's gone through the war. It's got an history, uh, interesting history that it started like the Tour de France as a publicity stunt yes, by a newspaper. Absolutely, and there was some, I think it was like twenty-five or, or thirty odd riders uh-huh. lined up. They had no idea back then, did they? And, and like the Tour de France, what it would become in the future. It's two hundred and seventy-five kilometres. And what look, what's interesting about the course route generally, um, it has, it's changed little bits over the years, um, and there's some specific parts that have changed. But generally, the race starts in one area, right? They ride for about 80, 90 kilometres on the flat roads. It's actually quite boring, that part of the race. But that's where the attacks happen. That's where the long breakaway goes. Then they hit Flanders and East Flanders. And the re- the next 170-odd uh, kilometres, it's a 270-kilometre race, the next 170 kilometres pretty much stays in a 40-kilometre radius. So they less. go zigzagging. They are just zigzagging. It's got almost more roads per square metre in the world than anywhere else. It's, I used okay. to train around there. You'd get lost and you'd be 30 k's from home and you'd get lost on these roads. But they are. They're zigzagging up and around. For a spectator, it's it's fantastic. It's a great way to see the race. It used to be absolutely chaos. Tour groups used to set out a mapped plan and they'd guarantee their their clients that you could see the race like 10 times in the in the course of you know the afternoon but it was absolutely chaos so they've they've toned that down a little bit i've taken tour groups there myself we generally park ourselves on the finish line in a vip area mm-hmm. so the race has evolved and developed over the years but what remains uh, the iconic cobbled climbs. Yeah, um, with some like I would I would encourage anyone to hit YouTube and check and search for a little bit of that historical yeah. site. There's some site of Eddie Merckx on that climb. Uh, getting a, off walking on the yeah, Koppenberg. Yeah, Merckx like, had to get off one yeah. year on the Koppenberg. Probably the two famous for me are the Koppenberg, and I don't think anyone will argue with this one. The the Mur de Guamont. Yeah. Um, uh, that there two are the most and, iconic. And this climbs. one can be cont- um, controversial. We had a there's a big controversy around. Cancellara attacking Bunen on uh, on that particular climb, which will not. What was the, what was the controversy? Uh, check YouTube. He was just too good. <laughs> he was just too good. That's yeah, the... <laughs> he pretty much. So, but it is a brilliant race. And look, I mean, let, let, let's look at the winners in the past. Yeah. Okay, I've got the list here because I don't know uh, all of them. But uh, Gilbert, Sagan, Christophe, Cancellara, Bunen, Taffy, Museu, Bartoli, Bugno, Durand. There's I mean, some legends. And just going back 10, 20 years, and you've got, of course, Eddie Merckx. Uh, you've got uh, Louison Bobet at the, at the time. It's, it's such... Uh, Tom Simpson won that race as well. Yes. It's such a great pedigree. Seven riders have won it three times. Yeah. Of those names, probably people listening now, you'd only probably remember these three. Cancellara, obviously, Museau and Boonen, Tom yep. Boonen, the two great Belgians. Museau was named the Lion of Flanders. Uh-huh. I mean, they created a brand. He created a brand around the Lion of Flanders after he won his third. 69 winners from Belgium. Yes. That's a lot of uh, Belgium flags around. And you know why, <laughs> why? I think this? The, well, the early years, I think it's pretty obvious, you know, yeah. in, in a lot of those races back then, they dominated yeah, the, the nationality. Yeah, the French used to win the Tour de France. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, well, yeah, we'll get to that later on in the year. Um, but look, this course, the, the roads of this course... They're so specific. They're so they're like goat tracks. You know, you'll be flying up a, a road. Next minute, you're making a left-hand turn in 200 metres onto a cobbled hill that's 22% for 400 metres that's no wider than two metres. If you're not Belgian and you haven't raced this race before or you haven't trained on these roads... Is it daunting? It's, it's worse <laughs> than daunting, I can tell you. I never rode to a Flanders. I did ride uh, what was known as Het Volk 
now known as uh, Het Newsblood, another race owned by the newspaper. The roads are just crazy. Uh, they're concrete roads, a lot of them. Um, they've got gaps of maybe one to two inches in the middle of the road. You know, there's potholes, there's there's bike paths that you can fly up the left-hand side to make up ground. But you don't know that unless you live there and train and race on these roads year after year after year. So for the non-Belgians mm-hmm. and for those riders uh, that have won this race, I could just about guarantee that they didn't win it on their first time. Like Cancellara, I couldn't tell you, but it'd be interesting to know how many he raced before he won his first one. Now, he was built for the classics. We know that. He won three Flanders. But it'd be interesting to know how many he actually raced before he won his first one. You know, there's, mm-hmm. it's just a crazy race. But um, of the Australians, Phil Anderson, he was the first Australian, I believe, to finish on the podium. Mm-hmm. Second to the great Eddie Plunkhart, a Belgian. That was in a sprint finish to the line. Anderson attacked the hell out of Plunkhart in the dying stages. Couldn't drop him. He was second in 88. Uh, Heinrich Hausler was second in 2009. It almost goes unnoticed, yeah, I've got absolutely. to say. Some of the results of Heinrich Hausler, in fact, are incredible, but I do remember he was second there. He jumped off the front right at the very end. It was actually a decent-sized group that came to the finish that day. And O'Grady was third as well in Mm -hmm. uh, Flanders. I think it was in 02 or 03. So we've come close, the Aussies. Can the Aussies win it this time around? Yeah, that was my question. Yeah. uh, Do we have a chance for an Aussie win at this one? I don't don't know if we do. I don't think we do this year. Look, I thought we had maybe two guys that they would have needed everything to go their way but Luke Durbridge and Alexander Edmondson yeah. uh, actually they've been... got nothing going their way this time yeah nothing's going their way this they're year they're not going to be there they've crashed out yeah. uh, they crashed out a couple of weeks ago both in separate races but Durbridge has got a broken right collarbone I think Edmondson I don't think he's got anything broken but he's just not in good enough shape or form mm-hmm. since that injury since that crash so they're two guys that are building, you know, towards some classic success, and they have been building over the years. So their stocks are down a bit, but they have got Matteo Trentin, the Italian who rides yep. for Mitchell and Scott, and he's in pretty good form. Uh, what about Matthews? What do we know about Matthews? Is he a chance in that sort of race? Uh, do you, you've got to give him a chance. Like you've got to give him a chance. It depends how he, shape out, he shapes out. I just wonder um, what if the team will absolutely back him in as a sole leader. Yeah. Um, he, on paper, he's the leader. Well, you'd think... For the yeah. race. And he's... Look, he had two wins in Catalonia, so mm-hmm. a two is different to riding Tour yeah. of Flanders, though. <laughs> but Matthews is probably our best chance of the Aussies, I think so. How slow is he? Yeah. And, um, you know, what sort of form is he in? Well, yeah. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't heard... We haven't but heard too much of He's one of these riders that can surprise on the day. No, I totally. He totally can. Guess who else is there? And I'm most excited about this. Come on. Come on, have a guess. Aussie or not Aussie? No, no, far enough. From the south, southern part, from the warmer part. Valverde! Valverde! <laughs> for the very first time yeah. at the age of 38 in the World Championship colours. How good is this? Alessandro Valverde will be there. So there was talk the other day. He was at, I think it was E3 Harold Beek or the, the old right, Doors to Orlando, and they keep changing their names because the sponsor changes these races. But they said the press were talking about he was hounded so much by the fans there, more than any of this, the, the star Belgian riders, mm-hmm. Valverde, because it's his first time, not first time riding the classics, but first time riding Flanders. He's ridden a couple of these other smaller ones, and of course the Ardennes classics, he's won Liège, Baston Liège a number of times, but Flanders for him. And one but of his... if, he, if it wasn't Valverde, we would say, being the first time he's riding it, no chance, but he's Alexandre Valverde. Exactamundo, Exactamundo. <laughs> now, there is one guy that you'll say, he probably won't win it, but 
it is Alejandro Valverde. You have to give him a chance. Mm-hmm. And and he says, there's more. He, he said, I love his quote. He goes, listen, there's more chance of it snowing in July in Murcia, his home uh, uh, city, which is you know very southern part of Spain, where it's 38 degrees, 40 degrees. <laughs> Then there's me of winning Tour of Flanders. But, but it's Alexandre Valverde. <laughs> but there's a chance. There is a chance. So it's exciting that he's there. I mean, what other... What other Sagan? What do we think of Sagan? Because Sagan's won that race. Don't um, write him off either. People write him off quickly because yeah. he finishes third, fourth or fifth or tenth. I think it was in Gent-Wevelgem. Um, people are saying he's tired. He's Peter Sagan. Uh, he's only human. I, I give him a big chance for Flanders. Tepstra, we know last year. Yeah, he was big super... Thing. But he was part of the, the Wolfpack. We just heard that at the beginning. Yeah. He's not part of the Wolfpack no, anymore. He's not, Quick step. He's no. on direct energy now. I think he'll be hunted. Yeah. Uh, he could. It's as crazy as it sound, sounds. He could fly under the radar, even though he is the defending champion. Having said this, he's probably uh, and I do actually really like that team. But uh, it's probably the only chance that direct energy has to win one of those classics. Oh God! I hope they don't hear that coming from a Frenchman. Uh, French that, team. I, and I know Bernardo. He might actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, he might actually kill me on this. This, but, um, but realistically, honestly, that's probably one of their last chance. I think uh, you're right. Christoph is in there, former winner. Yep. One Gent Wevelgem. And you know who else? Vanna Vermart. If it's not what you're thinking, Vanna Vermart for me is one of the logical. He, he totally. Vanna, he's Belgian. He, he's, he's, he's never won it. No. And he's he's good at all of them. You know who else? So uh, here he is on my list. John Degenkolb. Yep. I think he was second at Gent Wevelgem uh, just last week. He's sounded a warning. And people are saying, can he be the big upset? He won't be an upset. He'll be worthy. Like, yeah. He's won Paris-Roubaix, for God's sake. He's just finished second in Gent Wevelgem. Some, some of the why, comments why, that the press say, yeah. I'm just like, are you crazy? Why would that be an upset? <laughs> it's not an upset at all. He's a star. But he's, he's proving that he's actually back to his best form. You know, And this is a long time coming post that serious crash that he and his teammates had. Uh, down in Spain when they were basically mm-hmm. taken out by a car and it took him a long way to get back and there was a that victory that he had in, in the Tour de France on the roads of uh, Paris-Roubaix last year, wasn't yep. it? Um, you know, that was a big sort of um, uh, turning a page, I think, for Degen Kolb. I'm, yep. I'm going to call out an upset, which would be an upset, Arnaud Demar. That would be an upset. That'd, that'd be, oh, gee, well, we've got, hang on, let's get the list of 30, 40, 50 riders. No offence to those riders, but um, you know what else? We've got a little bit of real, we can sort of hang our hat on this, and uh, I hope he's listening. Scott Sunderland yes. this year has been newly crowned the, and I, I guess I'm saying this in the right way, his official term that is, He's the overarching race director of Flanders Classics, which of course includes uh, Ronde van Vlaanderen, Tour of Flanders, uh, I think Ghent, Wevelgem, uh, Het Newsblad. So he Scott knows, Sunderland. He knows those races super look, well. Uh, Scotty, Scotty spent many years in Belgium, married a Belgian woman. Um, his kids are Belgian. Uh, he still lives there most part of the year now. Um, he knows these roads, he knows these races. He is half Belgian. He certainly would admit that. But that's, you know, we should be proud of that. And I know Scotty, he, he was blown away when they, he got offered that job. He thought they were offering him race director for one or two races. And then they said, no, we want you to be the overarching race director. So he'll be in the director's car. Um, that's massive. It is massive. It's massive. Because it's, we come back to the first comments of what we said at the beginning. is such a, a pride of the Flanders region and having a non-Belgium person being a, a, a race director oh, it's, it's a mass I cannot imagine and excuse me if I say so but I cannot imagine a non-French person being the director of the Tour de France no you can't yeah. and, and 
And that's right. And we've got, and I hope this is resonating true to our listeners in the context of this great race because it is so Belgian. It is so, they're so proud and passionate about it, yet they've put an Australian in charge. That's fantastic. You know what else? You know what I'd love to see? And I'm not go sure on, who on. it is who can do this, but you'll <laughs> like this. I think one of the biggest breakaway victories in Flanders was our old friend. We see him at the Tour de France. He works for that other network called Eurosport. Jacques Durand, the yeah. Frenchman. He was 36 years of age. He went in the breakaway, 217 kilometres. 217. In 1992 with Thomas Wegmuller. Stayed away and won the Tour of Flanders. And he's the last Frenchman to have won it. Yes, and prior to that, I don't think a Frenchman had won it for 32 years. Mm-hmm. So I would love... It's not going to happen. <laughs> it's too clinical these days, what yeah. they do. But, gee, you know, there's one guy that could do it. I don't even know if he's starting, though. Thomas de Ghent. I mean, I, Thomas yeah, de Ghent is there. the modern-day yeah. Jackie Durand. <laughs> and I, I actually tweeted the other week, I think he's surpassed Jackie Durand, actually, okay. with what he's done. But wouldn't that be great to see? Absolutely. Uh, before we go on to uh, Christopher Froome, Chris Froome, that we, we have an interview to play, uh, nice segue. Sky are going with Moscon as a leader on that race. Uh, what do you make of this? Because Moscon's got a bit of a temper. Yeah. <laughs> well, if he gets angry, he might he might smash over those parve yeah. <laughs> I love how you say that. He's just got a little bit of a temper. Yes, he's been kicked out of a couple of bike races. Matt Keenan will love this because he's a big fan of uh, yeah. Johnny Moscon. And uh, he sort of made me aware of Moscon at the Vuelta, I think, two years ago when I first commentated it with him. He is a class act. We saw him at the World Championships last year. He just could not quite hang on to that trio that went away. And then, of course, Valverde ended up winning. Uh, Bardet and Woods sprinted in. Moscon came in just after them. He's a class act. Will he, will he uh, know the roads well enough around Flanders? Will he have enough support? You'd think so at Sky. Sky, you know, we talk about them being and this, this super grand to a team, which they are. But they've actually a, they're a pretty handy classics team as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and again, we said this last time we, we were on air, but uh, it's one of the last race under that name, Sky. Yes. This is changing soon. Uh, so there must be somewhere, somehow, a way that the team wants to conclude under that name. I yes. know the team is not changing, but the name itself. Yeah, that's uh, a They good want point. to seal something with that name. So they're going there with a serious intention. Oh, well... Yeah, yeah, they won't. Not, not that they never go to win, no. but there, there's an extra humph in this yeah, thing. Yeah, and and look, Flanders is a you know if you, if you're on the start line and you've been thrown into the team at the last minute, even you get on the start line, the goosebumps and the the crowds, the masses of crowds, it just lifts you, and you just say to yourself, "Wow, this is mm-hmm. a big race. This is it. This is yeah. You know, this is one day of the year." Absolutely. This event, so it's a big one. Look, Maka, we're going to just do a quick short break and then uh, we'll have an interview. We're going to play an interview with uh, Christopher Froome. He talks about the beginning of his season uh, and how he see this year shaping for him and for the team, actually, for Sky and what is becoming of Sky. Christopher Froome. Let's start off with with, uh, now and this season. Can you tell us where are you at right now in your preparation and in your season as as it stands? Yeah, so um, we started off the season for me over in Colombia. Um, which was a great experience and something quite quite new for me uh, to to start over there with with all the Colombians and up at altitude was just a quite a crazy race but a really good experience and I I did take a bit of a break off that I came back feeling uh, feeling really tired obviously racing at altitude was um, took quite a quite a toll on on the body 
so I took a good break after that and now I'm, I'm just building up again and uh, obviously with, uh, with the Tour de France in mind, uh, building more and more the closer I get to the Tour and hopefully arrive at the Tour de France in, in my best shape, uh, best shape possible. Unfortunately for you, you didn't win the Tour de France uh, like the, the years going before that. Sure. Has that changed your, your view on the preparations for the, for the Tour especially? Not really, not really, because I mean, I think I can have a lot of, I can take a lot of confidence now in how to prepare for the Tour de France. I've done it now for, for so many years, uh, the last six, seven years, I think we've been preparing in a very similar way. And um, I think I can, I can trust in the training that we're doing. And I know that if I, if I do the altitude camps, if I do the hours on the bike and follow, uh, get my weight down to, to a certain, certain point, I know that the results should should follow. Not winning last year, what, what has that done for your motivation or your your your, your mental strategy? Is that the same, uh, or are you more hungry for success now that you didn't win last year? I think I think I'm even more hungry if that's if that's possible because obviously having missed out last year, I mean for for whatever reason last year I, I was coming off uh, four Grand Tours in a row, so I think I, I was I'd reached a point where I was I was starting to get really tired, and obviously having just won the Giro before the Tour last year as well. Um, I think that definitely took a toll on me. Uh, now I can I can admit that in in hindsight that definitely doing the Giro d'Italia takes take something out of you for the Tour de France. But I mean, I'm, I'm as motivated as ever to, to try and go for a fifth Tour title um, in, in, modern, in the modern age in cycling. No one's, no one's done that. So it would be, it'd be really special to get up there and try, and try and win number five this year. But going into the special, especially the Tour, uh, you are on a great team with, with, with great profiles. The winner sure. from last year, you uh, a multiple winner and Banal coming up, uh, big, yep. big. Uh, how, what is the rules on your team? What are, what, what, what are you compared to each other? What are the well, rules? Well, I mean, we, we haven't even decided who's doing what races yet, so it's impossible to say what the roles are at this point. We, we need to get closer to the race, and uh, only when we're on the start line will we actually be able to decide everyone's roles. We know what condition everyone's in and uh, how, how things have gone in the season, in the lead-up to the Tour. I think we're, we're still too far out to be able to say this, this will be anyone's role. Or, um, but, yeah. but, but how is that for you, uh, considering that all the other times going into the Tour, there's been no uh, doubt about the, the, the hierarchy and the, the roles? How, how is it to, this year to go into the Tour de France with retreat, uh, three potential winners? I mean, it's, it's fantastic. It's, it's great for us as a team. I mean, I just have to think about what our rivals would be thinking, looking at us. I mean, there's not just one of us to, to worry about, there's two or potentially three. So, I mean, it's, it's fantastic for us as a team and I think it can give us a lot of confidence going into the race. But what about for you personally, not being the, the go-to guy in the GC, so to speak? Also, I mean, it's great. I can bounce off my teammates. I mean, it's, it takes the pressure off me. Um, it's, it's a fantastic position to be in. But isn't it better to, to, to be sure that it's everybody's riding for you? Is it, uh, now you said that it takes uh, the, the pressure. I mean, the, the only way I can do that is to make sure that I'm absolutely at my best and there's no doubt as to who the strongest in the team is. So it's, for me, it's, it's just motivation to, to, to get stronger, to, to train harder, make sure I'm, I'm as ready as ever. And if I'm not the strongest, then we should support someone else. That's, that's how it works. That's how teams work. So we'll support whoever's strongest. But can you live with that being, for example, coming, coming to that point of time, 
and being number two or number three. In sure, the if, if, if I'm not strong enough, then like, like last year, I wasn't strong enough. But, and, and Geraint, the stronger rider, won the Tour de France, which is, I, I was happy for him when we reached Paris because that, I knew I couldn't win. I wasn't strong enough to win. So it was, it was good that Geraint was there and that he was strong enough to, to take over. Also for you personally, I mean, that's, I, I, I know you as a person who has yeah, yeah. very high ambitions for yourself, but, but yeah. can, you, can you, so to speak, keep on uh, having, being second or third? I mean, hopefully, hopefully I, can, I can win. I mean, that's, that's, that's obviously my drive, my motivation. I'm not, I'm not training to come second or to come third. I'm training with the mentality that I'd like to go there and win and uh, be the best I can be. But... Uh, there's no guarantee in sport. I mean, that's what sport's all about. You can't predict what's going to happen. You can't say this is what's going to happen in the race and it's going to go like this. It's, that's, that's what makes sport interesting and uh, that's the position we're in. So that was Chris from uh, Maca. We're back here in the uh, Zwift Cycling Central podcast. Uh, quite an interesting interview. Uh, the Christopher from is always good with media when he's got time. Uh, and when he's got time, he really has got time for you. So that's quite a good interview. Uh, what do you make of some of his comments about the new season? He, he says the target is the Tour de France. Like, like we didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's definitely the thing. But he mentions that uh, doing the Giro and the Tour de France together definitely takes something out of you, which we knew, but coming from him, yeah, the machine. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's true. Um, I actually got a little bit frustrated at the end. The, the reporter, he, he was just going around with the same question. He was looking for a... I think he was a, looking for something. He was looking for a headline. <laughs> and, and you could see Froomey a little bit was getting a little bit sort of annoyed because he kept saying, oh, you know, will you continue if you're second best? And, yeah. and Chris is like, well, I want to be first. I want to be the team leader. We don't know. Look, I genuinely think what he's saying is true. He's not. He's not trying to sort of pull the wool over anyone's eyes. They don't know exactly right now who their team leader is. I think they'll definitely go there with a two-pronged attack um, mm -hmm. with, of course, the defending champ, Garrett Thomas and Froome. And then Egan Bernardel, people are saying he can win it now. You've got to remember, Froome's won four. Garrett Thomas has been probably one of the best domestiques at the Tour in the past four or five years and for all of Chris Froome's wins, and he's won it himself. I think respect, respect for you too. Yeah. But Bernal's time will come, and it might be this year, but I don't think it will be. I think he's still got to. I think he's still got to develop in the crosswinds. He's still got to develop on the flat roads. It's just like mountains and time trials, mm -hmm. and his time trialing still has to get top tier in three over three weeks. So I think people are just the media love to jump ahead of themselves yeah. and get excited. Now, not I know us, it's not all, us. Not us. <laughs> now we don't. Well, I don't. I don't. Well, you know, we we do it all above board here. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. But I think I think the interesting thing is can Froome be as good as what he was two years ago? Mm -hmm. Because this is a this is a monumental one for him potentially. It was yeah. going to be last year as well. He wins five. He's one of only what he becomes then the fourth yeah. guy only mm -hmm. ever yeah. in the history. Um, we won't talk about that other bloke who no. we can debate. <laughs> the other bloke has got another podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's even mentioned us too. <laughs> we don't mention him. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, oh, oh. it's going to be a monumental one. Yeah, and, and all in all, it's shaping to be a great race because what's going to be interesting to see, and I know we are excited because actually we are doing our, our, our travelling plans, so that's probably why we mm. are more excited than the, maybe the general public, they're focusing probably more on Flanders, Roubaix. There's a lot of racing before this, but if we can just say for this Tour de France, one of the aspects that's going to be interesting is how Geraint Thomas reacts. He's the, he's the reigning champion. Yeah. But 
No one challenges legitimity to be the reigning champion, but he's got another giant sitting next to him. Yes. And, and is he making way for that giant or not? And in his head, you know, you know how oh, these guys are. There'll be mind games. Yeah. There'll, there'll be a bit of, yeah, yeah. You know what I always love? Every year at the tour, and I, I mean, generally they're boring, but I do love just sitting up the back and, and watching the first press conference. The team one. Yeah. The team one. And generally it's the Team Sky one because there's always something going on. And mm -hmm. uh, we had it last year. We had it the year before. This year's going to be good. And they're both going to be probed. They're going to be hit the question straight up. Who's the team leader? Is there an outright leader? And, mm -hmm. you know, they'll, they'll be, they'll be the briefed answer. from their press offices <laughs> and all these sorts of stuff. So I'm already sort of working out my way, my, my, <laughs> my angling of the questions. You know what else I think, and on the subject of the dominance of Sky, mm -hmm. and it's not the first time I've said this. I've said I said this to someone recently, and I've heard this from a couple of other director sportifs. They've got to come up with the Moneyball concept. Interesting, haven't they? <laughs> well, they're trying. Well, no, they've got. They actually they, they Sky have got the money. I'm talking yeah. about the other teams. Yeah, yeah, but Sky has gone with the money. Yeah. Concept. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. the money ball concept. That's right. So, and I know, and I know I'm stating the obvious, and some, if there's any directors or team owners listening, they'll be saying, yeah, well, you know, you've got any bright ideas, pal. Why mm -hmm. don't you share them with us? Because they're the best team on paper. And I don't know what the answer is, but I think the worst thing to do is to let Team Sky set tempo. And I know you say, well, hang on, if they start doing that at the base of a climb, they've got to go on the attack. They've got to. You've got to come up with different ways, and it's a really in a sport that's become real sort of clinical in the way it's raced. And Sky, have, you know, they've mastered that the art of doing that. You know, teams like Mitchelton, if they go there fully charged with uh, both Yates or Chavez, or you know, who knows, and, and uh, Richie Port, Trek Segafredo, you know, you've got to you've got to be the first team in the crosswind to have all eight riders on the front. Yeah. You've got to be, you know, that first team to start that attack. I mean, Chris Froome, a couple of years ago, people said he couldn't descend and he couldn't ride in the peloton. He attacked in the crosswinds, I think, in the Montpellier with Sagan. Uh, then he attacked in down into Luchon, attacked at the top of the climb and descended into away the from them yeah. and said, take that. <laughs> now I can do both. And he actually didn't need to because he was going to win anyway. He was yeah, the yeah. dominant rider. So, you know, I just think there's got to be – you have got you can't rest on your laurels and say we're just going to follow, follow, follow Sky and hope they crack. Yeah. Because so far they haven't. Yeah, absolutely. Have uh, one last uh, thing we need to mention. Chavez uh, has been given the all clear for the, the Giro. Yeah. Uh, how interesting is this? Because Chavez has been uh, up and down mm -hmm. uh, for, for the last uh, year, actually, uh, yeah. or even a bit more. Uh that's good. That's that's definitely good news. Look, he he had, a, he had a rough. He's had a rough twelve months. He had injuries, but he also he lost a really close friend who was a, a physio of his back in Colombia. You know, it was a tragic. She was she. We might have mentioned it on a previous pod. She was on a Grand Fondo ride, I believe, and and she died. Um, she crashed and and died, and that really affected him. And you know, these guys and girls, cyclists, they're just you know they're they're not robots. They're just human beings, and I think, you know, that uh, stacked upon his injuries and, you know, he went through a really tough time and uh, so it was a tough 12 months. So I think first and foremost, it's just good to see him back. Mm -hmm. We love him. We, you know, yeah, he's as, such a lovely bloke. Yeah, Aussie fans, we've, mm. we've become to, to love him through, you know, Dan Jones, who, who was the man behind Backstage Pass, and we got to know and... Uh, um, you know, up close with, with Esteban Chavez and that great smile that he's got. And that's what you want to see back, don't you? So 
it's good that he's back and given the all given the all clear, you know, he's been selected now to to support Yates. And I think that's really good. Mm-hmm. That it's funny it's in some ways I'm surprised they haven't maybe sort of said let's steer him towards the tour why don't we give you the the outright leadership of the tour or maybe it's the other Yates uh, brother notice how I'm not saying Adam or Simon exactly because I, <laughs> I keep getting them mixed up you're not the only one that's crazy I'm really Yates boys if you're listening I really apologise we you're usually both, you're go, both champions that's the thing you we, can usually, both... we usually go by colour of the socks <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> well Matt Keenan if he was here he'd be slapping me out there saying come on mate cheapers you're at the Vuelta last year put your socks off but yeah Exactly. Um, no, but it is good. Uh, back to Chavez. It's just great that he's back racing. And you know what? Just before we yeah. wind up, and we won't give too much away, but we're talking about Flanders, Belgium. There just might be a sneaky little visit there later on in the year. Maybe a special, we'll just keep that under wraps. Maybe a special podcast from maybe, there just the maybe, the France. Just maybe, maybe, you, maybe. You've, maybe. Been, you've been to Belgium, haven't you? I have. I have. Yeah. It's good. I love yeah. it. <laughs> okay. Do you like... Now, you don't drink wine, but you do drink beer. I do drink beer. Well, that's okay. Absolutely. We're, all right, so far, Ooh, we're on the right path. That's a little teaser for you guys. Thank you, uh, Maka, to uh, have popped into the SBS studios today. Nice to be back. New room, new studio too. I love it. Absolutely. And it's Flanders, all about Flanders uh, this weekend. This was the uh, Zwift Cycling Central podcast. Remember that you can uh, download, stream, or subscribe to our podcast from our website, sbs.com.au slash central. This is also where you can find out about Flanders this weekend, and you can schedule around with our lovely friends at Zwift until the next podcast that might be a special Roubaix coming up next week it's bye for now a quick shout out from our sponsor before we go if you're looking for a new way to ride without traffic or punches getting in your way hop on Zwift we use it your cycling buddies probably use it and the pros they definitely use it Zwift turned indoor training into a full-on gaming experience. Connect your PC, Mac or Apple device and you'll pedal with thousands of cyclists around the world. And there's a good chance you'll see a pro on there too. Loads of them are on Zwift on their rest days riding around Watopia. Give them a ride on if you see them. If you've got a trainer, start your free trial on Zwift.com.